Welcome to Torah from Temple of Aaron in St. Paul, Minnesota. Here is the place to hear much of the great sermons, teachings, and speakers happening each week at our synagogue. Whether you are able to make it in person or not, each week you will find new Jewish content to inspire, motivate, and bring meaning to you wherever you find yourself. I hope you enjoy the teaching and feel free to contact us anytime about it by calling us at 651-252-6411 or emailing us at Rabbi Marcus Rubenstein at templeofaron.org. Enjoy and we hope to see you soon. Um, a while ago, uh, my previous congregation when I was in Middletown, I, I was very involved with uh, interfaith uh, activities as I hope to be here as well. I'm sorry to be involved here as well. One of the ideas I had in the beginning was to have an interfaith text study, um, because that's, for me, one of the major ways that I uh, come closer to God is, is through learning sacred text. Um, and so uh, I had a first session, I, and the people who came were Dominican monks. Um, we had a Dominican monastery in our town. We actually had a, an interesting Catholic shrine in our town where we were, and the Dominicans had a, a, a monastery there. And so these Dominican friars came and uh, came to learn and we were learning, uh, I forgot, I think we were starting in Joshua or something like that. And we were reading along, we began to read along, and I, and I paused. And I said, well, what does this mean? And they said, well, it means X, right? And he said, it means this. I said, well, it could also mean this, it could mean this. And then I, I began to, of course, take out a Jewish commentary and look through the, you know, 10 different versions or interpretations <laughs> of this particular verse. And I'm going through the different terms. Could be this. I, I expect them to be arguing back against me, and they're just looking at me with utter horror. <laughs> they're like, "What is? What are you doing right now? Like, what is happening about?" It? And they just said back to me, "No, we already said what the verse means. It means this. It doesn't mean anything else. It means this." And from that day on, as much as I loved them, and we worked uh, with so many other things to make the community better, you know, helping homeless, all this different kind of stuff. One thing we didn't do together was text study. <laughs> and in some ways, you have to ask the question, like, why? What was so different about what we were doing together? Why couldn't we sort of have that same conversation? Um, because in some ways, you know, their view makes a lot of sense. If we're having revelation and, and we're reading the revelation from God, and this is the absolute truth, right? This is the truth, right? Then it should be, well, you just read it, understand it, and do it, right? Uh, you have most, to know the antecedent to this. What'd you say? You have to know what the antecedent to this is. You mean? What does this mean when this is truth? Right, <laughs> right, exactly, of course. So so you should be able to look at it and say, this. If, by definition, revelation means it's revealing something, right? And if it's revealing truth, right, therefore I should be able to and we know that many people around the world, it's the way they read the Bible. They just look at the words and they read it, and that's it. Kind of, right? But we know as Jews, we don't do that. Right? <laughs> and, and, and again, this is not a new thing, right? Like if you look through Talmud, Midrash, any basically Jewish collection, and some even argue even the Bible does this itself amongst its own texts, right? Um, is is it argues with itself. Like we have almost no univocal holy text. We just don't have it. Every sacred primary source we have is people arguing with each other and having billions of different opinions and having this long discussion over something and most likely actually never coming to ultimate truth about what this thing actually means. So much so that when Maimonides wrote the Mishnah Torah, um, originally the first law code of, of actually writing down, okay, what do the opinions of the Talmud actually say? Let's write down in simple sentences what the Torah is. It was actually burned. 
was actually burned by Jews across Europe because this was like a heretical thing to say, this is what the Torah says, this is the absolute truth of what the Torah says. And, and, and why just why? Why are we so peculiar? And why do we do this? Because it, it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, honestly. Um, so why? And it really goes down to how the Torah was given and what the Torah is. Um, on one hand, today we celebrate the revelation of the Torah on Mount Sinai. Right? And an essential part of our Torah is it's not just a book, right? It's not a book that some great people wrote who are really wise and whatever, and they kind of pass it on. It's a really nice book, like other books that were written. You know, you could read Homer, you could read Lotus, you can read all these great, we have all these classics. How is it different than that, right? Those also written by wise people. But we know that essential to the giving of the Torah is its revelation on Mount Sinai, is that it comes from God. Right? Is that there, and what we mean by that is there's something absolutely true within the Torah, right? There is a source of absolute truth within the Torah because it's revealed from God, which is beyond time and beyond space. And the, the revelation on Torah Mount Sinai was this gigantic, momentous moment in which, according to the Midrash, was not just something that happened that one place, but all time stopped for a second. Like, all the creatures stopped barking and stopped, everything stopped in the world, all the creatures, all the peoples of the world. Actually, according to the Midrash, it says that there was an earthquake throughout the land, and all the people were really worried. And who did they go to to ask what, what was going on? Well, only their greatest prophet of the non-Jews, Bilam. And they went to Bilam, and they said, Bilam, what's going on right now? The world is shaking. What's going on? And he said back to them, well... God's giving his Torah to the Jewish people. God's giving God's Torah to the Jewish people. And they had a simple question to ask. He said, is this going to be the flood again? Right? Because what did they remember? Last time there was an earthquake, there was them shaking. The whole world was flooded, everyone died. So they said, is this going to be the flood? Are we going to all be gone? And, and Bilaam said, don't worry, that's not going to happen. God's just giving his Torah, his truth to the Jewish people. And then they went on with their business. Why did they go on with their business that day? Because the, those non-Jews at those times, those, those non-Israelites at that time said, we're not actually concerned about the revelation of truth and relationship with God. We're only concerned if this affects me adversely or not. Is this bad for business or not? And then they kind of moved on. Right? Because it wasn't pertinent to them. But Israelites were defined as the people of truth. Right? As we're being revealed, that we, what we really, the reason that God revealed the Torah to us is because we actually desired, desired truth in our hearts. We desire transcendence. We actually desire eternality beyond the fact of would it, would it impact me in my everyday life immediately, adversely, right? And that is the revelation of Torah on Mount Sinai. It was the idea that we were experiencing something that was eternally true, something that was completely different than that was revealed ever before. And that still is the experience we're supposed to feel when we sit at Sinai and we receive the Torah today. We're supposed to plug back into that feeling, deep revelation, that what we're dealing with is this godly document where the Zohar itself says that the Torah is part and parcel of God, that God and the Torah are actually the same sort of thing. Right? And when we engage with Torah, we're really just engaging with the infinite divine. That's different than any math textbook you've ever read, no matter how great the math textbooks are. Sorry. Um, but on the other hand, there's something peculiar that happens at, at Revelation as well. What we see is that when God reveals the Torah on Mount Sinai, according to our Midrash and our Talmud, God begins to say the Ten Commandments. He says, the Ah of Ani, and everyone all of a sudden holds up their ears. Right? He says, I can't. I can't listen to this. I can't be here right now. Moses, you go up and receive it for us. I can't handle it. Right? 
And so what we actually realize in this moment, according to the rabbis, is we actually don't actually get to hear the Torah. Right? We don't actually get to hear the revelation. We get to experience what it might feel like for a second, but ultimately we say it's impossible to be a human being in this world and to actually hear the true revelation. It's impossible. Now, that's a very peculiar thing to say because it's supposed to be revelation. We're being revealed something, yet on the other hand, we seem to reject that revelation and say, I actually can't handle that revelation. And God seems to learn from that moment and say, yes, it's true. Human beings can't handle the full truth of that revelation. Now, you have to ask why. Why? Why, why not? Right? Well, if you, that's the whole point. You're supposed to be revealing us the, the absolute truth of that moment. I think the reality is, is that God in God's self is beyond all boundaries. Right? God in God's identity, we, we define beyond time, beyond space. And so, too, God's revelation of absolute truth is beyond time and beyond space. Now, the problem, as, we, as I always like to talk about, is Immanuel Kant's idea is that as human beings, we can't actually perceive of the world the way it actually is. Right? We only can perceive, this is what he proved in his brilliant work, The Critique of Pure Reason, is that he said basically as human beings, we can't experience the world the way it ontologically is because we're bound to see things through our per perspective, which is bound to the two vectors of time and space. As human beings, we actually can't picture something outside of space and time. It's impossible. It ends up, when we try to, when we try to think of that, because we're so bound to living, our perspective is so bound to time and space, it, it gets, comes, it's like that zero with the crossbar. It's undefined as human beings. And in reality, God's ontological existence, what God really is, is in that beyond territory. It's in that undefined space. It always will be mysterious. And as long as we're human beings living in a finite mortal world, we're never going to truly connect to God in 100% reality and completely cognize and understand what God is. And so, too, it's true about the Torah. The Torah contains absolute truth within it. But the second we can say, oh, this is what the absolute truth is, it's this sentence, right? It's this idea. It's this, I'm going to point to it and show you what it is, is the second we're doing idolatry. Because what we know, according to the Midrash, Right, is that we can't actually hear that absolute truth. We can't actually hear the actual simple language of revelation because it's too much for us to hear. Right? No one can hear it. You can't be a human being to hear it. And we actually see this throughout, and we say this with our, our fellow human beings, by the way, all the time. Like Emmanuel Levinas, another great continental philosopher of, of, the, of the 20th century, said that human beings, when we meet with them, are infinite others. Right? When we try to have a relationship with them, when we try to actually talk to them and just try to get to know them, we'll actually get to we'll never actually get to know another human being. Right? We'll never actually be able to define another human be being because each human being is infinite. Right? I'll, I'll just give you a, a simple perspective of that. Right? You say Marcus is a rabbi. Right? True. I guess I'm a rabbi. Right? But that does that does that identity represent all who I am? No. I'm also a father. I'm also a, a musician. I'm also a million other things, and I'm also beyond all those things that you could possibly say. You can't actually identify me, right? Any word to identify me, I'm beyond that, because I'm an infinite human being made in the image of God. And if we say that, you've arrived at your definite destination, don't worry. Um, and if you say that about human beings, call, call the homer about God, all the more so about God. You can't say God is this and God is that. Maimonides said it originally about his idea about negative theologies. That you actually can't say what God is. You only can say what God's not. So, so too, you should be able to say that also about the Torah as well. 
Right? The second you say, this is what the Torah is, and this is what the Torah is not, is the second you've made an idol out of the Torah. Right? The Torah is a process by which we experience, engage in the search for absolute truth, but not the process by which we define it. Okay? That's why every name for all of our Torah scriptures are always, are never, this is what it is. It's always a search for it. The very name Midrash in itself means to search out. Doresh is to search for something. It's not the it's not like you read it and that's okay, that's the absolute truth. That's what it is no matter what. It's this as through in a mysterious process through engaging with the Torah, we experience the search for absolute truth. We experience moments of absolute truth that then whisk away because as human beings we can't contain absolute truth. It's impossible. It's like containing the whole entire ocean. Right? It would be impossible. Right? It's beyond that. But on the other hand, right, we should know that when we engage in Torah, although we can't contain it or define it, we are engaging with absolute truth. We are engaging not with another math textbook or a history textbook or another great book, but we're engaged with the revelation of God that we as human beings, as Jews, should have the faith that when we engage in it, we can engage with absolute truth. We can engage in God's presence, but just as we don't seek to define other human beings by simple, simple terms and define them, so too we should not be defining God's Torah in simple terms. Right? Rather, it's constantly a search, and the second you say, there it is, there it's not. Right? It's constantly moving because by definition it's eternal and it's beyond time. If it truly is an eternal message, then it can't be bound up in a simple message in time for in a simple snap, simple snapshot in a simple moment. Rather, at every moment, God was, God is, and God will be, and God is constantly dynamically changing in every moment, in every spot, just like existence and just like all of life, as it's constantly evolving. But as human beings, what we need to focus on on Shavuot is these two factors. One, our Torah is divine. Our Torah is revelation. Our Torah is absolute truth. It is something different than uh, what we're doing. And when we engage in it, we have to understand that we're engaging something which is, be with, which is beyond our understanding and can illuminate our lives and change our realities. But on the other hand, we also have to understand that we'll never fully cognize the Torah's actual message. It will always be one step beyond us. There'll always be one step more that we have to search, that we have to discuss, that we have to search more. It'll never be just simple. And of course, number one that comes out of all of these things is that we have to never be like the, the non-Israelites who responded to Bilam. Ah, as long as it doesn't hurt me, as long as it doesn't, doesn't adversely affect me, I don't really care. What God wants for us to say is that there is revelation, there is truth, there's this ability to connect to me through my Torah. And you, and as a Jewish person, we need to desire that in the bottom of our hearts. That when we engage with Torah, right, it's this process of getting to know God, right? Which we have to understand is never going to be an end, right? And we're going to define that thing. But it's a process like every other human being we meet, where every human being is a vast mystery. And every moment we get to spend with them is absolutely precious because we're discovering new parts of reality, all the more so for God and all the more so for God's Torah. Holding those two things at the same time is hard, but that's what God actually requires of us when learning Torah, 
is that we're actually engaging with something that is always going to be true, with a capital T, but always mysteriously beyond us as well. It's, it's the imperative and it's the foundational idea that all of our rabbis go into learning Torah with, which is why sometimes it's so confusing and difficult to learn in Torah. Right? And sometimes I wish we could be like the Dominican monks who say, this is what the Torah is. But in the end, I think in my heart of hearts, I think that's a bastardization of the Torah's message. Right? That's an idol. Right? That can never be the true Torah because that can never be the true God, which is beyond definitions and beyond time. So this Shavuot, I hope that we can recommit ourselves to standing at the foot of Sinai, to recommit ourselves to standing at the idea that when we engage, when we engage with Torah, we are engaging with the divine. We're engaging with absolute truth. We're engaging with something that is the most important thing that is eternally true more than anything else in the world. But on the other hand, we're also engaging something which in the end is absolutely mysterious, which is finite moral <coughs> human beings will never quite understand, we can only experience. And in the end, only search for that relationship with God, that infinite.